I'm going to read it from my own Bible, and then you could follow along. If you can see, it's Colossians 4, starting in verse 7. Uh, let's do this. Um, I'm really good friends with the, the, the guy that's uh, listed first, so I call him Ty. Ty will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Artie, you know what aggravates me about the New Testament? They can use easy names. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter. Why put these guys in? Okay, my fellow prisoner, we're just going to call him Artie because him and I are tight too, sends his greeting as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. So we're not talking about Jesus Christ, we're talking about another dude. There are only, they are the only Jews among my co-workers from the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and faithfully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and the Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor in Demas, sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha. And the, church, and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that in turn you read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archie that to see that you come, um, to see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I'm going to pray. God, I want to thank you for your word that you've caused it to be written. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that you pour out on us through this word, that it reveals the very heart of who you are, the character and the nature of who you are. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. So finally, after, after a few weeks, about 20 or so weeks, we have come to the end of the letter in Colossians. Now, Paul ends most of his letters kind of this way, kind of in a fashion where he, he greets people, he gets some shout-outs, he says goodbye, he mentions some people, he says, tell some people hello for me. Now, most of us, I would say, including me, we tend to gloss over this part of Paul's letters, we tend to just either read it really quickly. I mean, he's got all those names that nobody can really pronounce. And so we just kind of, and we mumble through. Or sometimes we don't even read it at all. Especially if you're reading a letter over and over again. You'll just kind of just kind of flow through this gloss over or not read it at all. But here's, here, here's the thing. The Word of God doesn't just add stuff to add fluff or filler to the story. Remember, remember that these words, or, or all the words in this book, we consider them, we believe them to be sacred. 
We believe them to come from the very heart, to be inspired by God himself. Yes, they were physically written by men, but divinely inspired by God himself for the good of the church. And so everything in Scripture, everything in Scripture, there is meaning. There is something important to it. And we just have to dig a little deeper. We have to spend some time in study. We have to let the Holy Spirit reveal to us. We have to to let it marinate a little bit. Now, I will admit... This, this part of the text I had, I had some trouble with. I had to kind of wrestle with. Um, I, I just really couldn't get a hold of any possibilities of what in the world does God want to tell us? What in the world does God want to share with Oasis Church in 2013? I mean, I've known for weeks and weeks this is coming up. And I literally thought last week I would just kind of blow through it really quickly and we would just end the book and we would move on. But I just, there was just so much there. There's so many lines of text there that I just couldn't let it hang. And so as I began to read, as I began to study, I began to read uh, men and women who are, are much smarter than I am, which, to be honest, isn't really hard to come across. But I, as I was reading them, I was reminded of a way of entering into the Scripture. I was reminded of a way to, the, the way of just putting yourself into the story. Not to read the story from out here and try to figure out what's going on with these people. How are they doing these certain things? Why are they doing these certain certain things? But to put myself into the story. To put myself in the shoes of the guy writing it. To put myself in the shoes of the people who are mentioned here. What's going on in their lives? What's, what's taking place? And so that's what I had to do with the help of of many scholars to remind me that you, you you can put yourself into the story and spend time in there. Now, as we look at these this, this description of all these people, we can see that there's something going on. There's a, there's a characteristic that goes through all of these people. These are people that Paul knows. These are people that Paul is doing life with. And the people he is speaking about are very, very passionate about the kingdom of God. They are very passionate about their faith in Jesus Christ. Very passionate about the work for the kingdom. We have, we have Ty right off the top. He's going to tell you news about me, Paul says. So, so not only is he going to Colossae, he's going to report to them what is going on with Paul. How Paul's doing. What his condition is. He's going to tell the community, report to them. Paul trusts this guy with carrying this letter to the church. Carrying this letter to the church so that it can be read there. To be delivered there. He trusts him on this long journey. And remember, long journeys back then, they didn't have cars, they didn't have trains, they didn't have, they didn't have motorcycles. You walked or maybe you rode a donkey. And it took a real long time. And it was dangerous. You could have been mugged. You could have been robbed. You could have been killed and thrown off to the side of the road. Paul trusts him. And not only does he trust him with the, getting the letter there, he trusts him to, to expound upon it, to fill in the gaps, to explain it. Paul trusts this guy to get there, have the letter read, and then if there are any questions, he can interpret what Paul is saying, which is no easy, easy thing to do in the first place. 
So this guy is passionate about the kingdom of God and about the gospel. He is sent there not only to get this letter there, but to build up the community, to encourage the community. Onesimus, a faithful, dear brother. He's from Colossae. He's the slave that you read about in in Philemon. He's the guy that escaped. Paul's trying to work it out. Listen, don't put a whooping on him. Just accept him back. He's a brother in Christ. But Paul speaks about him with deep affection because of the work that he's doing in the kingdom for his love for the people in the kingdom of God. He He wants the people to know about his passion. He wants people to know about this guy's conversion, that once he was a slave, now he's a slave for Christ doing kingdom work. Our buddy Artie, he's in jail with Paul. We don't know, we don't know why he's in jail. We don't know how he got to jail. But many scholars would say that he volunteered to go to jail with Paul so that he can come alongside him, care for his needs. Make sure that he was taken care of, that he didn't get himself into trouble. He volunteered to go to prison with Paul out of his love for Paul and out of the love that's in him from Jesus Christ. Mark, Justice, who are a comfort to Paul. And these, they're ministering with him. And they're the only three Jewish men that are with Paul in his ministry to the Gentiles. You see, there are very few Jewish people preaching the good news to the Gentiles because it caused this tension within Judaism and the Jewish Christians. Could the Messiah really want to save those people? Was the Messiah's work really for them and not just for us? And so there was this tension. And in fact, some of the Jewish men who would go out preaching and teaching, they would get whooped on by their Jewish Christian brothers because they were bringing it to the Gentiles. And so even within this tension that these men faced there with Paul, working for God's kingdom, Epaphras, he's another Colossian that says he's wrestling in prayer for the community. Some would believe that he's the pastor or was the pastor of the church in Colossae. And he is wrestling, praying for the health of the church, the well-being of the church. Praying that people would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would be living in a different way. That they would be living in a Christ-centered community. You see, all of these people that are mentioned here are passionate for God's kingdom, passionate for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and passionate for the people of God. And Paul, Paul wants to bring them to the forefront. Look at them. I want you, they send their greetings. They're working hard for you. There's a caliber to these people that Paul himself admires and loves them. And wants people to know about them. And even in this, these people that Paul knows is his tight little community. Paul sends them out to do the work of the kingdom. Paul sends them out to different places to preach the gospel. He sent them out into the world to live the gospel of Jesus Christ and do the kingdom work. You see, Paul recognizes that his own little community of peeps, they're not just for him. They're not just for his personal comfort. But God has raised these people up for the good of his kingdom. He has a kingdom mentality. 
and he and what's most important to him is what God is doing here on earth and not just necessarily his own personal comfort. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. And how, how good would it be to have some brothers and sisters around that, that, that could support you, that could encourage you, that were like-minded and that could speak to you and speak words of encouragement. But no, Paul won't let them just stay there. He keeps a few guys back. I think Luke was one of them. But he sends the rest out. Go do kingdom work. It would be much easier for him just to, just to sit in prison with all of his friends and be encouraged in a time when things just seemed really out of control for him. But he doesn't look at it that way. His community is not just for him. He sends them away. And he has this deep concern for the churches. He has this deep concern for all the churches that they would they would share resources back and forth. See, he knows that no church is an island. Last week, I spoke about how we Christians we need to stay engaged with the outside world. We need to stay engaged and involved with people outside of church, people outside of the faith. We cannot stay huddled up in our little Christian comfort zone, but we're to do life with people outside of the church. We're to be Jesus to people outside of the church and maintain a, a biblical wisdom in that, but we're, we're called to be with people, not just to preach at them, not just to tell them, man, shape up, turn to burn. That, that's, not what, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to do life with people, but yet maintain a biblical centeredness in our lives. We're called to engage the culture because if we don't, they are not going to know about Jesus. And words, words can fall very cheap. But when you give your life, it's something completely different. But now there's a flip side to that philosophy. It's, it's the other side of the coin. As much as we need to stay connected in the outside world, we have to stay connected with the brothers and the sisters of faith. We have to stay connected with the brothers and sisters in the faith. We need a gospel-centered community. We need like-minded people to journey with. Like-minded people who, who understand the things that we go through, that can encourage and support us. And this, is, this goes way beyond just little accountability groups that you have with your friends. Because even in those little groups, they can be just, just inward turned. And we all huddle up and it gets very comfortable and very cozy. We need the same thing that Paul has we need men and women that will journey with us, that are partners with us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to become a partner, and we need partners to join us on this journey. That we would live the gospel outside of these walls. We need each other. We need people in our lives that are passionate about Jesus we need people in our lives that are passionate about the community of faith. Not just people out there, but passionate about the people in here. And for those of you who, who may be very passionate in your faith, who may be very passionate about Christ, you have to do life with people who might not be so passionate. 
And those of you who are just kind of just kind of going through it and you're trying to figure it out and you're not really sold on all of this yet, you need to get with people who are deeply passionate about it. We have to mingle together. This is what we're called to do. We need each other. Paul always had this this very gospel-centered community with all different types of people. Some were very passionate, and I would think, though we don't hear about it often, but I'm sure some were just trying to figure this thing out. But it's in community that that God has designed us to be in. He's designed us and called us to be in community. And listen... I know community is really strange in 2013. Community is not your thousand friends on Facebook. Community isn't all of those people that follow your kind of lame-esque 140 characters on Twitter. That's not community. Community isn't being connected to everybody in your address book through your communication solution. That's not community. In fact, I would say that, that that's almost like a, a pseudo type of relationship. And it, and, it, and, it, and it damages our ability to enter into deep communal relationships. Because it's just all out here on the fringe. Faith is not private. Faith is be, to be lived in the context of each other. Lived with people. Even people who are not so easy to get along with. See, on Facebook, you can just defriend somebody, and they're gone. Ta-da! You don't have to listen to them. I mean, I'm guilty of it, too. Like, like the, 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 the uber Christian that has nothing, all these just like, the world is ending, and everybody's evil. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, no more. Sorry, pal. You can, un- can you untweet somebody? Is that what they call it? Unfollow? You can do whatever that, too. You can untweet them. But it's a little bit tougher when you're in this personal face-to-face relationship it's a little tougher to put up the hand the face ain't home leave a message at the tone barney 1993 you know you watched it d.a carson wrote um he wrote that the church is made up of natural enemies the church is made up of natural enemies. And what brings us together is not our common education or our common income or our common political views. Lord knows that's just not possible today. What brings us together is not our common jobs or just our common theologies. We have different theologies that people hold different theologies about certain things that attend this church. Personally, I think it's a beautiful thing. What brings us together as a church, is that we are all seeking Jesus Christ. He is what brings us together. It's Christ and Christ alone. And if you are building relationships on just external things, on things out there, on things in the world, on things you just have in common, it's only a matter of time before those relationships either fall apart and go away or change very dramatically. How many people do you not see anymore because you've changed your job, you got married, or you've had children, or you've attended a different church? 
How many of those relationships you no longer have because you don't do that hobby anymore or you don't go to that pool club anymore? I mean, I know all of a sudden those names and those faces start to get, man, I haven't seen that person. I haven't seen, I haven't seen. Because those relationships are just built on this external commonality that we have that eventually is going to change. A relationship is only as strong as the foundation that it's built on. And if a community is made up of relationships, then a community is only as strong as the foundation that it is built on. And if you build a community on external stuff, of, on the external things of life, eventually that community is going to be in constant change and constant flux because our commonalities on the outside are continually changing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what the gospel of Jesus Christ must be the foundation of this community that at best is a beautiful mess that we call church. The gospel has to be the foundation of community because it continually moves us in the direction of being first dependent upon God And then it moves us in the direction of being interdependent on each other. That we need each other and we recognize the need for each other. Paul has done life with these men. He knows them and they're working hard. And they're very different from him. But yet, he's a deep affection In a church, there should not be the group of super Christians that are holier than thou. And then we have the group of JV Christians that kind of get together. And then we have all the beginner Christians. We'll let them sit in the back because they don't, they don't lift their hands and they want to watch. And if they want to they practice, they don't want anybody to really see them. So they sit in the back. But, but see, and, and, and then we get into this. Well, listen, you can't come to super Christian group unless you kind of you arrive a little bit. You know, you need more chapter and verse. You need to regurgitate a little bit more chapter and verse, not on yourself. And, 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 so, and then as you become more into Bible studies, and then you can just kind of progress. That's, that's not the way it can happen in church. We all need each other. We all need to learn from each other. We all have to mingle with each other. The, the seasoned veteran Christian and the newbie, we can, you know, the seasoned veteran can actually learn from the new person because the new Christian has this exuberance and this passion that old time Christian just kind of misses a little bit. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have to mingle with each other. There is no one in any church that is more righteous than anyone else. Because what the Bible teaches is none of us have any righteousness. It's only the righteousness of Christ that we've been given. That's our righteousness. We got nothing on ourselves. In ourselves. And so if you think because you've been following Christ for 35 years and Joe over here, I'm sorry if there's a Joe over here, but I'm not picking on you, Joe. Uh, And and if you think Joe over here, well, he's not quite as righteous because he's doing dumb things and, and, you know, he's only new to it. You're dumb. Because if you've been following Christ for 35 years and you should know that there is no righteousness in you. And then you share that. You tell that. The cross levels the playing field. 
And so if we build community on anything else but the cross, we're in danger of becoming proud in the things that we have accomplished. Look at what we've done instead of celebrating what Christ has accomplished through his death and through his resurrection. You know, Paul was a lot smarter than most of these people. Paul was a well-educated Pharisee. He was moving beyond his contemporaries. And I will bet you that some of the people that he hung around with, they didn't even read the Old Testament. They had no idea of the Old Testament scriptures. Paul had them memorized and could recite them. And yet he loves them and he has an affection for them. And he's proud to be their friends. He mingles with them. He sends them out. He encourages them because the foundation of the community that he has isn't built on anything but Christ and Christ alone. And so, you know, I was thinking, well, what does is, what is this what does community look like? You know, I mean, that's all well and good. And I guess I, I, I can't give you really seven steps because I don't think that far in advance, but... Um, I believe, first and foremost, that a gospel-centered community, a Jesus-centered community, when we let all that just all that stupid junk fall aside, a gospel-centered community uh, has to be it has to be real and it has to be transparent. People have to be real and tr- people have to be transparent. We have to move beyond that. Hey, everything's all right all the time, and I'm fine. Because I'll bet you, I will bet you that some of you were asked this morning, hey, how you doing? And you said, okay, and that was a lie. Maybe not all of you, but I bet you there's a few in here that someone asked you, hey, how's things going? Yeah, good. And you lied. You lied right through your teeth. We have to stop being afraid of having to hide our faults and our hurts and our mistakes and our fears. You know, during the series in Colossians, I, uh, there was a few times that I, I got very personal with you all. And I shared my own faults. I shared my own mistakes out of my own life. The most recently, the one I told you is when Sandy yelled at me and she told me, I'm tired of walking around in eggshells in this house. And I do that for a very specific reason, for a good reason. See, first of all, I want you to understand, first and foremost, that just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I am not human. And it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I'm far from perfect, as my wife can contest to. (laughs) But I also tell you those things to tell you and to show you that it's okay to need the grace of God every single day. To need forgiveness every single day. I want to tell you and I want to model for you that it's okay to need places in your life that you need to surrender. The places in your life that you need God to change you in. It's okay. It's okay to be broken. Because I believe that it's in, it's in that openness and that willingness to confess, even if it's in front of an entire community, to confess. That's what makes a Jesus-centered community a Jesus-centered community. 
The charade has to go away. Who you are, it's okay. If you're not perfect, it's okay. If you've got sin in your life, it's okay. For now. And there's nothing, if you think you're the only one that's messed up, if you think you're the only one that has fallen flat on your face, that's a lie from the enemy. Because we all have. And I've tried my best at times to model that. And I still have, I still have a long way to go in that because there's some things that I'm afraid to tell you all because I still need a job. But I'm working on it. See, the only reason a community of Christian faith has gathered it together is because Christ has called it together. Not because we've earned it. Not because we're better than they are. Because Christ has called us here. For whatever reason, he's called you here. And I, man, I, I believe with all my heart that it's, it's, through, it's through people being honest with themselves... And it's through people being honest with other people that we will finally be set free. But, you know, honesty is tough. We don't like honesty in church. It's one of the things that we'd like to talk about, but we don't care for honesty because we're always worried about we're getting judged. And the problem with that is it's true. See, see, that, that, see that's, that's, that's the... That's the uh, that's the fault, man. That's the imperfect... That's the beautiful mess that we are. There are going to be people that judge you. See, I've grown tough skin because a lot of people judge me. You know, they, they, they like leave. They don't come back. I remember once a guy, I, he was here for the first time and he walked up this aisle to meet me. And as he was walking up, I noticed he looked at my feet. And that day I just didn't happen to have shoes on, such as today. And he walked up, he looked, he shook my hand. We never saw him again. It's okay. We are who we are. We are who God's called us to be. And it's when we're honest with each other, honest with ourselves, that we begin to heal. It's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay just to stay there. It's not okay just to hunker down there. We need to be honest about our failings in the context of community. And, and, and it's, and it, but it's not enough just to be honest about them. We need to take steps to change. We need to take steps in healing. We need to, you know, just to say, hey, listen, man, I'm a jerk to my wife and kids and God loves me anyway. That's not enough. That's just not cool. That's not enough. It's not enough just to stay there. In a, in a, in a gospel-centered community, we, we can nudge each other towards repentance. We can nudge each other, each other towards surrendering our lives to Christ. We nudge each other towards that. Not because we're holier than thou, but because we're as broken as you. And we nudge each other and we help each other. It's not enough to be a church of nobody's perfect. But we should be a church that's moving towards a deeper surrender to the things of God. Because when a church centers their lives on Christ, when, when, when people center their lives on Christ, when we center our relationships on Christ, He changes us. And He changes individuals. And a changing populace of individuals is a changing, maturing community. 
all too often we are so right in the middle of our own brokenness and our own junk that we're blind to certain areas in our life. We, 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 just, we just can't see it. We're blind to some of the things that Jesus needs to step in and to get a hold of and to fix in our lives. And we need brothers and sisters who are passionate Passionate about Christ and pursuing him and passionate about the church and that are open and honest in their own failings, in their own brokenness, in their own pain to come alongside us and and, and nudge us and help us and encourage us to a deeper relationship with Jesus. We need each other. We need each other. I don't know who said this, uh, but, but it was some pastor, big, big wig pastor. And he said that uh, church has to be a safe place, but church cannot stay a soft place. Church has to be a safe place, but it cannot stay a soft place. We live in the tension of grace. We invite all sinners to come into this room, to come and join this community, because we are all sinners. But we have to enter into the struggle against sin. No one just falls into holiness. It's the pursuit of Christ that changes the, the interior, which begins to change the exterior. We have to do battle against the forces that are coming against us. Pursuing Jesus has to be the most important thing. It has to be the most important thing. If it's not, you are failing. We want, we want people to move to a place of wholeness. And not just live lives that are continually being splintered by, by the destructiveness of habitual sin, the cycles of sin. We want you to move to wholeness, to be healed. We want you to know how much God loves you beyond what you can ever imagine. And he's not mad at you. and You don't have to run from him, but you can run to him and he will heal that thing. In the Jesus community, there is absolutely no place for self-righteousness. There is absolutely no place for self-righteousness. We are called to love each other with a deep brotherly love that Paul talks about in Romans 12. And and it has this this meaning of, of coming from the same womb. That's the way we're supposed to be connected with each other. That's how that's how tight we're supposed to be connected. And you know, as I was thinking about this and just kind of churning this over in my own brain, I'm I'm not really sure that a this kind of community can ever be fully realized in our Western culture. Because we're so individualistic. We're so just doing our own thing. We're so busy. Jesus becomes this afterthought in the end of the day before we go to bed or a quick I got to get my study in in the morning before I go to work. But then there's that part of me that, that just won't, can't let go of the vision of a Jesus gospel-centered community. I mean, I, I personally think that, that we, do, we do pretty good, and I don't just blow in smoke. I, I think we do, we do pretty good here. 
But we have so much more that we can grow together in our pursuit of Jesus. So much more that we can grow together in our love for each other. I look at Paul and the love that he had for just just these people that he mentions here that were so very different from him. I see that his community wasn't just for his own comfort, but for the good of the kingdom of God. And I would wonder, is that the way we view our community, that it's not just for us? Maybe if we look at it, it's not for us, but it's, it's for the good of God's kingdom. I see him wanting churches to share life together, to share resources together, because the cross levels the whole playing field. In our culture, even in evangelical world, we build our relationships on the things that we have in common in the external instead of building relationships on the thing that we have in common in the, inter- in the eternal. We gather in our life groups, in our small groups, with people that we get along with and people that we have things in common with. They're in a common position with life and, and we call this you know, community instead of gathering in diversity and allowing a Christ-centered community to give us life. We celebrate openness and we celebrate honesty within our small groups and with our close friends. But we're afraid to challenge people to a deeper place of surrender. We're afraid to, to nudge people along. And we're, but you know why? It's not, and, and I truly believe you'll hear because, well, who am I to nudge them along? But I think that's, the, that's just a cop-out. We don't want to nudge people along because we don't want to be nudged ourselves. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll just wallow in our sin together. High fives at the end, great sharing time. We'll see you next week. We seem to be happy being stuck because stuck is comfortable and, and it's, and it's safe. Sanctification is hard and messy and painful. It's way, way too honest. And I find that the further I move away from some pain or brokenness in my life, sometimes I become uh, a little callous to the people that may be in the same pain and brokenness. And I forget where God has brought me from and where he's led me from. This begins the summer for us. Would you join me in wrestling with, in prayer that God would do a mighty work in this community, that he would anchor us deeper and deeper and deeper in the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ for people? Would you, would you join me in prayer that, we're, that, that you're not going to lose focus of the things of Christ this summer? that you would stay focused in prayer. Pray for our community. That the Holy Spirit would rush in here and do a work that only He can do. That lives would be changed. Hearts would be changed. That your heart would be changed. 
Would you wrestle with me in prayer this summer? I still pray for the day that we have to move our once a month community prayer into this room because that room doesn't hold us all. And I'm not guilting anyone. I've said it before, that shame is something completely different. Would you join me in wrestling in prayer for the glory of God's kingdom? That this church would be different inside and out. Lord, I want to thank you for your word, for the challenge of it. Praise you, Lord, that you love us even in our frailty and our faults. That you love us beyond what we can ever imagine, but you love us so much, Lord, you don't want us to stay there and you're just bringing us along. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that if, that if something from the word this morning touched their heart, that you would, that you would uh, plant it in good soil, that it would take root and it would produce fruit. Lord, we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for where we are now. Thank you for bringing us from where we used to be. And thank you that you love us so much, you're not going to let us stay here. But you will move us together as a community into a deeper, more intimate walk with your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys. See you next week, 9.15. Just a reminder. <laughs>